Welcome. This is Father John with the Hope on the Way podcast. And today, again, I have my good friend and fellow priest, Father David Hest. David Hess, excuse me, who lives in Southern California. And um, we began a podcast a week and a half or so ago that was probing the problems of preterism. And today we're going to continue that conversation with talking about the prophetic timing of the return of Christ. And we're going to touch on such issues as millennialism and what view of the rapture that the early church and the scriptures teach. So it should be an interesting time here with Father Dave. But for those of you who didn't tune into our first podcast, Probing the Problems of Preterism, I encourage you to go back and look at that after you watch this podcast or listen to it. And those of you who are not watching on Spotify, you're listening to the audio. If you want to see the video and you're on another podcast provider, you can head over to podcast and see the video. We're going to be putting up some PowerPoint slides for you all. So Father Dave, introduce yourself briefly again. Tell us a little bit about you and your ministry so those who are listening can get to know you a little better. Yeah, well, my wife and I, we were um, overseas in an evangelistic church planning ministry um, for 30 years, and we've just recently um, moved back to the United States and um, planted a church here in Southern California, and um, I was um, actually ordained to the priesthood and sent out as a missionary priest back in 1999 by our Archbishop, Archbishop Wayne Busada. And so, um, yeah, that that's a little bit of what we're doing now. In addition to that, um, we are continuing on in a ministry to reach out to Muslim peoples, both here locally where we live in Southern California, but also um, as we travel, we'll be traveling to the Middle East here in a couple of weeks. Um, we travel a couple times a year um, to the region. So anyway, that's kind of the way we are doing it right now. And um, I have a daughter recently married and a son who's been married for uh, close to five years now. So, All right. And just to let our listeners know that you are fluent in Arabic. Well, yeah. And, and my Arabic is getting weaker and weaker as the months go by as I'm not using it. But um, Yes, we uh, those who those who want to get in touch with you can check out your podcast at where? Yeah, we have a blog and a podcast, Joel, the number two generation dot is the podcast and dot blogspot .com is the blog. All right, we're beginning our slideshow right now and the frame that we see is the prophetic timing of Christ's return. So that's the topic we're going to explore today, the prophetic timing of Christ's return. And we're heading off to our next slide. And this slide is a presentation of different views of 
how Christians, Bible-believing Christians, regard the timing of Christ's return and the nature of the millennium. There are three primary views on the millennium, and that is the thousand-year kingdom that the Old Testament prophets and, of course, in the book of Revelation predict and prophesy. The first view we're going to explore is premillennialism. The second view is postmillennialism. That's not as popular as it once was, but it's still around. Another view is amillennialism, and really before the 20th century in evangelical Protestant Christianity, I would say amillennialism was the prevailing view. And uh, as kind of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, Father Dave put on this slide, which he prepared, pan-millennialism, which means whatever view you hold, it's all going to pan out in the end. So, Father Dave, take us through these three approaches to the millennium. Well, first of all, um, you know, we, we do want to talk about the timing of Christ's return and, you know, the second aspect of that is, is there going to be a literal millennial reign of Christ? A thousand year is been the historic understanding, a literal thousand years, and or some millennialists would say it's the thousand years is representative of a long period of time, but basically that there will be a literal um, visible reign of Christ on the earth after his second coming. All Christians believe that Jesus is coming back again. I should say all Christians, other than a view called full preterists, who believe that Jesus came back fully in 70 AD or around that age, but all creedal Christians, Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant, um, evangelicals, charismatics, would say that Jesus is coming again. We confess it in the creed. He will come again. Um, to judge the living and the dead. He will come again. His second coming is yet future. Um, however, will he come back um, to basically establish a thousand-year literal reign on the earth? Or, as the other views would say, the millennium is not to be taken literally um, in the amillennial view, um, they would say that 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 language of the millennium was was you know not to be taken literally, and they would say that Jesus is going to come back. Um, they would say it at we're in the millennium now. Whatever the millennium is, we're in it, and Jesus will come back at some point in the future. The postmillennial view, which we have here, is are those that believe that that we will we will establish the millennium. And then Jesus will return at the end of the millennium and will go into eternity. Whatever view you have at the end of the millennium, whatever you believe about the millennium, uh, whether you believe Jesus returns at the end of it, whether he returns before it, or whether we're in it now, everybody believes that at the end of whatever the millennium is, we begin the eternal state. Um, the new heavens and the new earth. Um, 
where we, you know, live forever and ever and ever and ever. Um, anyway, so yeah, th those are the three views. I should just say this, if you go back to that last slide, um, there are two premillennial views that are, um, one is, is what's called historic premillennialism. Um, I would just say that that was really the view of the earliest Christians. Um, and it was also the view of, of, of a famous um, theologian. He's gone to be with the Lord, George Eldon Ladd, taught at Fuller Seminary. Um, but the Probably the millennialism, premillennial view, Jesus is going to return at the before the millennium, um, is what's called dispensational premillennialism. And that's the view that, you know, Hal Lindsey, late great planet Earth in the 1970s, um, the Left Behind series um, as well, is very much in this vein of what's called dispensational premillennialism which has some other characteristics, which we, I think we'll get to later. But anyway, so those kind of, those kind of are the three views. The pen millennial view, I think, rather than tongue in cheek, I think for people that just don't even care about this issue, they, they, they made a bin in one camp or they fought this battle. They just kind of, you know, get to a point where they say, well, I don't know what is the case, but it's all going to pan out. And they use that really as as an excuse of fatigue. I just don't want to worry about it. I, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm going to be okay. And however it works out, I, I'll say yes and amen. I think that's the pan-millennial view. Anyway, so we can move on to your next slide. And just curious, uh, Father Dave, why did you put a little picture of Yoda next to pan-millennial? Well, because he's laughing there, and I use it in tongue in cheek, you know, um, it's all going to pan out in the end. And for many years, I called myself a pan millennialist. I just didn't concern myself with the topic. Okay. And I didn't know if there was some sort of, uh, uh, other, other implication. All right. So we're looking at a slide called the three millennial views. And on this slide is all millennial post-millennial and pre-millennial. And again, amillennialism believes that we are in the spiritualized thousand-year reign of Christ right now. And then post-millennialism would be that we are, and correct me if I'm wrong about this, because it's not a widely known view, Father Dave, that post-millennialism would teach is that we're ushering in the 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 kingdom as we 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 work towards that is that is that a good understanding of postmillennialism? Yeah, I would say postmillennialism is the most optimistic view because it believes that you know we started out, um, Jesus came, and now we're in the millennium, and what we're going to do is we're going to make the world more and more and more Christ-like, and the institutions are going to become more Christianized, and the governments are going to become more Christianized, and that we're literally going to Christianize the world in that way, and it's going to get progressively better and better and better, and then at the end of that time, once we're done with that job, um, then Jesus comes back. And, and yeah, sorry. go ahead. Uh, yeah, no, no, so no. I think the post-millennialist view of of the thousand-year kingdom 
is more associated with the reformed folks. Am I right? I know, I know the pastor, uh, my, my brain is not clicking, but the, the former pastor went to be with the Lord of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. Um, I yeah. know it's a, an ardent postmillennialism. And then we have premillennialism on this chart. And I'm about ready to hand it over to Father Dave. But basically, premillennialism is that the millennial reign, the thousand-year reign of Christ, will precede upon Christ's triumphant and glorious return to earth. So, Father Dave, just kind of take us through the different uh, views of these three perspectives regarding this age and the age to come. Well, you 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 mentioned that that there were people in the Reformed camp or Presbyterians that were post-millennial lists. Most of the Reformed guys that I know today are more or less in the amillennial camp. Um, I think that post-millennialism is a view that can only really take root and become popular and really believed um, at times where Christians have really felt like we're dominating the whole world. So you take, you know, you take the the height of the British Empire, where, you know, um, in the 1800s, post-millennialism was very popular view in the 1800s. You know, we the Industrial Revolution was taking place. Missionaries were, you know, able to go anywhere in the British Empire, hospitals, you know, um, so-called backward or or third you know what we would call third world cultures were being christianized and modernized and and um you know it, you know so the, it was a very you know it's kind of a view hey man it's just getting better and better and better and and eventually it, it's all going to you know it's it's just going to keep getting better and um and guess what then at the end of it jesus is going to come back and say well done my good and faithful servants the problem is we had a few hiccups in the 20th century, like World War One and World War II and the Holocaust that really caused post-millennialism to be reevaluated. And I think most of the reformed guys that I know, um, both people that are, you know, reformed Baptists and or um, reformed Presbyterians, almost everybody I know that would be in the reformed camp and I would say even Reformed Lutherans would be amillennialists today. So the amillennial yeah. view, for those who can't see the chart or are listening through other podcast providers, is that this age in the amillennial view is that the present age equals the millennium. The millennium. We're in the millennium. Yes. Yeah, according to amillennialism, it doesn't really mean there's no millennium. It just means there's no literal thousand-year millennium. We are in the millennium since Jesus left the planet after his after his ascension. We are now in the millennium, and we are bringing about. We are expanding the kingdom within the millennium. You know, and so that's kind of the amillennial view. And you know, let me just let me just say. I mean, why is the amillennial view so popular? The man who made it popular was the great Saint Augustine. Um, the later 
church fathers, the post-Nicene church fathers, largely um, left a premillennial, literal millennial view. They actually, in their writings, they start talking about those earliest church fathers as being naive and too literalistic. Of course, this is on the other side of Origen and Clement of Alexandria and the allegorical interpretation of scripture. Now, it wasn't that people embraced it in everything, but, you know, in the 400s and, you know, even into the 500s, um, there was more or less the view, because of Augustine's viewpoint, that the millennium wasn't to be taken literally. And so they came up with the view that we now know as amillennialism. And of course, why would that be popular in reformed circles? Well, you know, the reformers, Calvin and Luther, were ardent disciples of St. Augustine. I mean, Luther being an Augustinian monk himself. So it doesn't really surprise, it shouldn't surprise us that a dominant view within Protestantism uh, in, in its history has been amillennialism. So the early church believed in something um, called, and tell me if I'm pronouncing it right, uh, chillism. Am I pronouncing it right or chiliasm? Yeah, I, I used to, I, I'm not sure actually. I say when I've seen the word chiliasm is that was the viewpoint, that was the term to describe Christians who believed that when Jesus returns at his second coming, he will establish a literal, visible kingdom on the earth that Jesus himself will be the king and the presiding ruler of, that he will be ruling and reigning on the planet from Jerusalem. And that view was called Chileism, is how I pronounce it. I'm not sure I'm probably getting it wrong. And, and am yeah. I overstating, am I overstating yeah. by saying, that the successors to the apostles believed in what we would call premillennialism today. They would, they, the, the, the viewpoint, if you had to take a viewpoint, the earliest Christians, when they commented on the topic, I mean, not everyone commented on the topic. I mean, um, I just, I just recently have read, reread the apostolic fathers, um, twice, looking at different topics that I'm just kind of seeing what they believed on. And you have, well, I should say this, you don't have hardly anything in the Apostolic Fathers referencing the millennium, but you do have Papias, who was a personal disciple of the Apostle John, and the later church fathers talking about Papias said that he believed and I'm, I'm quoting one later church father, Papias says that there will be a millennium after the resurrection from the dead when the personal reign of Christ will be established on this earth. As, so this, as this, did Irenaeus also believed that, and Irenaeus yes. was a disciple of Polycarp. Yeah, Irenaeus was like a grandson of the Apostle John. But but this is this is really an interesting person because Papias was a personal disciple of John who wrote the book of Revelation. So I'm going to say that if anybody understood what John meant when he talked about a thousand-year 
reign at the end of the book of Revelation, would it not be one of his personal disciples? Now, we don't have any of his works extent today. He wrote five treatises that this is what was recorded in church history. I would love it if, if we discovered some of those because he probably went into some great detail about the very topics that were interesting to the early Christians. But you mentioned um, you mentioned Irenaeus. Um, I have a, a lengthy quote here where Irenaeus, you know, who's a generation later, um, he talks about the time of the Antichrist and he and he mentions a future Antichrist. He talks about the seven-year um, tribulation period. He believes, he says that the Antichrist will reign for three and a half years during the tribulation. Um, most premillennialists, um, both historic and dispensational, would 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 believe that that there would be a literal tribulation period. Whether it's a literal seven years or a period like that, they some debate. Anyway, um, to, wedge, to wedge history together here as we move on, yeah, is, is that the earliest church fathers, the successors of the of the apostles, and their their grandchildren, if you would. Um, or their children, in the case of Polycarp Irenaeus, is that they believed in the literal millennial kingdom, a literal antichrist that would come. Yet, and yet, by the time of Augustine, and I don't, you know, that I don't know hold numbers well in my head, but we're talking about four hundred, right around late, 400. late four hundreds. Uh, I'm sorry, very end of the four, uh, fourth century, so oh. late three hundreds. Most of his writings came from came from the the 400s he died like around 425 or something like that so these folks lived during a time i'm talking about augustine eusebius these guys lived during a time where christianity was winning the day in the roman empire and so as they began to think about this stuff they just kind of i think reasoned amongst themselves well that must have been all spiritual because look yeah. at what happened is that the whole world's becoming christian so just moving on to um, a discussion now, transitioning between views of the millennium towards views of the rapture. So before we get into this chart, Father Dave, does an amillennialist typically believe in a literal rapture? You know, they don't talk about it. I've never heard any millennialists talk, talk about it. But if they did believe, whatever they would believe about the rapture would be very akin to a post-tribulation rapture, that the rapture, whatever the rapture is, it occurs at the second coming of Jesus, to be caught up in the air. Um, and I would say, I would say that's the same with the post-millennialists, because the, the Bible talks about being caught up in the air to meet the Lord, right? And, and just, so just to interject um, with yeah. I just for those who aren't seeing the slide, first uh, Thessalonians 4:17, the apostle Paul says that we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Now the English transliteration of the Latin. Bible verse of 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, 
for caught up is rapture. That's an English transliteration. So that's where we get the word rapture from a, a, a transliteration of the Latin. So as we talk about the four views of the rapture, Father Dave, kind of take us through them one by one. And well, again, we are again we are talking about premillennial uh, understanding yeah. now. Now we've yeah. moved into focusing on the premillennial understanding. Yeah, so I, I don't think there would be any, there would not be any um, debate, really. There might be some debate between a, 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 a pre-wrath rapture and a post-trib rapture camp in terms of the, the timing of the rapture. But the, because of his, um, because of dispensational premillennialism, the doctrine the doctrines from the Left Behind series and Hal Lindsey's late great planet Earth, the rapture and the timing of the rapture became a very divisive issue because for the first time in church history, um, there was a view that really was developed in the 1800s. I, I know I have pre-trib, pre-tribulation rapture friends who believe that they go back and find quotes from the early church fathers um, that they taught a pre-tribulation rapture, and it's just not true. Um, I've seen maybe the most compelling quote is taking a little piece of Ephraim the Syrian in the 400s, and it looks like if you take this one sentence in a, in a larger quote, that he might be mentioning something that sounds like a pre-tribulation rapture, but the rest of the paragraph, he's talking about Christians being persecuted and enduring during the time of the Great Tribulation. So if you get that quote in context, that can't be what Ephraim the Syrian was referencing. And so the, the, the reason is, is that somehow in the 1800s, this new doctrine was really invented that said that Christians were gonna be airlifted out um, to meet the Lord in the air before the Great Tribulation, and then all of the events of the Great Tribulation would occur, and then those that had been raptured before will come back with him when he comes back to establish his millennial kingdom. And in my, in my podcast that I did previously, The Nine Signs of Christ Return, uh, parts one and two, I talk about why um, this 1800s view, maybe Maybe Isaac Watts kind of proposed something similar, but really in the 1800s, a man named Darby really yep. uh, proposed this view. And we don't have time to, just to, to go into how this pre-tribulational rapture of the church theology came about, but I do in that uh, series of nine signs of the return of Christ. So we have four views. Yeah. We have pre-trib is that the church is snatched away and then all hell breaks loose for seven years. Then we have a mid-trib view, which is in the middle of the tribulational period when the Antichrist takes control, the church is raptured and then the wrath of God comes. And the, the theology is, is that God wouldn't pour out his wrath upon the church. Yeah. Then the pre-wrath view is, explain that one a little bit more for us. How does that differ yeah, from I, the trip? I, I think, 
you know, I, I just I, I just read a, a, a book and this author was arguing for not for a pre-tribulation rapture. He was he was arguing for a pre-wrath rapture view. And so basically the very end of the millennium, he argues that, that when the wrath of God is being poured out and all of the, the, the judgments, the bold judgments that are mentioned in the book of Revelation, that it will be, you know, basically, you know, devastating to the planet and that Christians couldn't be around during that because we're not appointed to wrath. And if we were around, how would we survive that? The post-trib view, however, would articulate that we're around when the wrath of God is being poured out, but we're not going to suffer from it. God would protect his church from his wrath. He would pour out his wrath, as the scripture teaches consistently, on the ungodly, on the unrepentant, not on his church. So I, you know, to me, you know, I I mean, I don't care to to be honest. I, I know that the pre-tribulation view is is a novelty, right? Whether it's mid-trib, pre-wrath, post-trib. Um, I, I think the problem, however, with the mid-trib and the pre-wrath is you essentially have the same problem. You have this kind of secret coming of Jesus. The church gets caught up. Now, maybe it could be like this. The church is caught up as Jesus is returning. The wrath of God is being poured out and they return. So it's almost like the same event. So they're, therefore, a pre-wrath and a post-trib view of the rapture wouldn't be all that different. But the problem with all of the rapture views of some type of a rapture happening before the second coming is really you then have a second coming of Christ during the tribulation and then his second coming becomes his third coming. And it just complicates things from a biblical interpretation view. And just, just interjecting, and I know you this, Father Dave, is, is uh, there is this doctrine of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And there's two views on this doctrine. Most people only think there's one. Um, the, the, the popular view that's embraced by the pre-tribulation or rapture folks, is that Christ can come at any time. However, I think a careful reading of scripture is not that Christ can come at any time, but Christ can come in any generation. Yes, I fully agree, because there are signs that there are indications that have to happen before his second coming. So the, the, the doctrine of the imminent return of Christ, that he could return at any moment, is only a view that can be um, connected if you are a pre-tribulational rapture person. Now, um, I, have on, I have on the screen a U-turn sign with a big red circle around it and a slash. And one of the things the pre-trib uh, folks tend to do is to mock the post-tribulational rapture. They'll say, it makes no sense for at the end of the tribulation for all the the Christians who are alive to get caught up with Jesus and then come right back down to earth. Why, why would that happen? That makes no sense at all. But if one knows biblical culture, it does make sense. And can you share with us why, Father Dave? You know, it's funny because I think that most Christians and most scholars throughout the history of the church 
would have fully affirmed that the, the understanding in antiquity, and this would go back into Old Testament times, um, intertestamental Judaism, as well as the early church, is that when a king was outside of his domain, um, he would, you know, he was traveling for whatever reason, when he would return to his domain, be that the capital city of, of the center of his kingdom, or where, wherever that would be, wherever he resided, when he returned, his subjects would have come out of the city and they would have adjoined their king or their ruler, their emperor, whatever, as part of his processional as he came back in to his kingdom, the king's domain, right? And that is essentially what everybody in antiquity understood about what would happen when a king is coming into his domain, and if Jesus is returning to the planet to establish his kingdom, right, um, into his domain, right, it says what the prophetic scriptures say, that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God, right? You know, we say, Lord, let your will be done, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So when Jesus is coming back, um, and, you know, whether you're an amillennialist, a postmillennialist, or a premillennialist on this point, that his subjects would join him in that great procession as he came down. It says that every eye will see him, that he will come on the clouds in glory with angelic, with the angelic host as well. Well, why would they get to be a part of that great procession and the church that is here on earth would also not be a part of that great processional into onto the planet. So that is what that is the historic view of what it meant to be caught up with the Lord and meet the Lord in the air. Now, historically speaking, one would ask themselves why the reluctance to embrace premillennialism by the more traditional mainline church that had previously, especially the Protestant mainline church, that had embraced amillennialism. And one reason, and this is true of Catholicism too, is that through church history, those people after the apostolic church, after Augustine or Augustine, that there were millennial movements that were quite rowdy, heretical, and during the Reformation, crazy violent. And so um, upon my teaching, the nine signs of Christ returns, I cracked open the new Advent dictionary. It's a Catholic dictionary. And basically it said is that premillennialism cannot be safely taught. It's just this, this, unfortunate baggage that has come with premillennialism. Now, I want to just tell you, Father Dave, that if it wasn't really for the church fathers, the early church fathers believing in what we would call a historical premillennialist view, and um, I would probably be an amillennialist, but based upon what the church fathers believed, and also what happened in 1948 
it's really hard to explain away Israel. So what about Israel? Is it part of God's prophetic plan? Has the church replaced Israel? Has God done with Israel? Yeah, I, th I think too, I, I don't think it's a binary option. You know, I think that I, I don't think it's either this or it's that. You know, I think I think the the earliest Christians did believe that the old covenant ended and that the new covenant um, supersedes the old covenant and that the, the new covenant was made, as Jeremiah prophesied, with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. No mentions, no mention in Jeremiah's that the most famous, well-known passage about the new covenant in the Old Testament doesn't even mention the Gentiles being included in that. So, um, but that was the covenant that we were welcomed into and included in. And so the, 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 the problem I think with this view, this dispensational view is they kind of view that the old covenant just continues on. That's not what the book of Hebrews teaches. It's not what Paul taught. I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. Uh, that's my personal uh, opinion. Um, and it was translated into Greek by somebody else, but in Galatians as well. So, um, you know, I, I think that when we take all of the data, we will have maybe a, a, a different view. However, um, Paul writes in, in the book of Romans, that there is going to be this in, incoming of the Jewish people. He says it in this way. He says, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, then all Israel will be saved. Yes. And, and so I, I, I don't and care. Romans, Romans yeah. that Israel has experienced a hardening in part. Yeah. Until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And so, you know, the, the bottom line is, you know, Paul was zealous for the salvation of the Jewish people. I mean, he was a Pharisee um, for the sake of, 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 of Yahweh. Um, he was. And he, he said, I would be accursed that my own people would come. You know, the, the problem with a lot of dispensational theology is they actually teach that Jews can be saved in another way, apart from the the new covenant apart from their messiah the dual you know? covenants yeah and 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 that just becomes and and so it's difficult when you start to tear this stuff apart because as you and I are um bishop john we are historic premillennialists we believe that there will come at one point in history in salvation history before jesus returns there will be a man of sin um, who is called the Antichrist, the Antichrist. There's many Antichrists throughout, we can argue throughout church history, but there will be a man of sin who will be worshipped as God in the temple. Now, um, all millennialists don't believe that there will be a rebuilt temple um, before the return of Jesus. They believe that's all figurative too. I heard an amillennialist teaching that he believes that worshiped as God in the temple is that he believes that's within the body of Christ because he would say we're now the temple um, we're the body of Christ and it was a very interesting read on trying to to reconcile 
that man of sin who will be worshipped in the temple. But here's my point, is that if there is going to be an antichrist man of sin who is worshipped as a deity in the Jewish temple, the Jewish temple needs to be rebuilt. And that's where I think the foundation of the state of Israel in the 1940s becomes a very interesting um, um, prophetic thing, because for the first time since the temple was destroyed in the first century, and utterly Jerusalem was leveled in the early second century at the Third Jewish War um, in 120. 8 to 130 AD or 133 to 135, I forget the exact dates, but at the end of the third Roman Jewish war, Jerusalem was completely gone. It was renamed to a pagan Roman name. Um, Jews were not allowed to enter the city except one day a year um, on Yom Kippur um, to weep over their sad history. That was the edict. The Roman emperor gave them and that that stayed intact until the fourth century after constantine and the edict of toleration um in 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 the beginning of the fourth century these things started to um soften but the point i was trying to make is jews have never ruled over jerusalem since that time right since the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, when, you know, at the end of Herod's kingdom there, right? So all of a sudden in the 1940s, we now have a situation where the Jews are ruling in Israel, in, in Palestine, in Jerusalem today. And so we can start to imagine that, oh, now we could imagine that a, a third temple could be rebuilt yes, yes. these and, things could be literally fulfilled yes so and, in, our, in our time our few minutes remaining i have a new slide up here that says um deception and it talks about imminent signs and preparing for the end times and there's three scripture verses second thessalonians 2 9 through 11 where it talks about that there will be a wicked deception and that God sends a strong delusion with the coming of the lawless, lawless one. Matthew 24, 24, Christ says that there will be false prophets and uh, false Christ will arise and perform great signs and wonders. So even the elect could be deceived. And in Revelation 19, 20, and I've heard Revelation described as the grand central station of prophecy, of Bible prophecy. So that prophecy runs, that train of prophecy about the deception runs into Revelation 19, 20, where it says that the false prophet um, deceived those who received the mark of the beast. And the, one of the things that really stood out in our last conversation on the problems of preterism and one of the dangers of embracing preterism and amillennialism is that you won't be looking for the signs. And one of the signs is the sign of deception. As we think about that deception, uh, could you concisely and briefly talk about what signs of deception do you see 
happening today? And do you, uh, you've described, uh, you know, a one world religion, a worship of the Antichrist, a deception happening in that time whenever that's going to be um, released and unveiled on the world. But just explore that a little bit with us, because I know this worries you is that right now we're in so much deception in the church. Yeah, and, 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 and you know, theological concepts have consequences. So if you actually believe like a post-millennialist that things are just going to get better and better and better and better, um, well, then how do you manage things getting worse and deception and persecution and all of these types of dynamics, right? So um, let me just read, I, I'm just going to read a quote from Cyprian. This is in the middle of the third century, 250 AD, where he's talking about this time, right? He said, these things have been foretold as about to happen at the end of the world. So at the end of the world, these things are going to happen, is what he's saying. It was predicted by the voice of the Lord and the testimony of the apostles that now that the world is failing and the Antichrist is drawing near, all good things will fail. However, evil and adverse things will prosper. Yet in the last days, evangelistic vigor has not failed in the church of God. Now, let's be fair. Cyprian thought that he was in that generation. All of the early Christians thought that Jesus's return was going to happen, you know, that these events about the Antichrist and tribulation were soon to, to occur, you know. And, and so I get it. I understand why people in certain traditions, um, like the Orthodox, the Eastern Orthodox Church, they don't even allow the book of Revelation to be read in church because of how abused it has been at different times in church history. They believe it's canonical. They believe it's inspired, but they don't even go there. That 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 might be a bit of an overreaction um, to the misuse of the book of Revelation. But here we are, we're in an hour where I think most people would agree. If Just looking at the different trends in Western culture, I Looking, like that word trends. We think yeah. about trends rather than saying, hey, it's happening now, but we can see some strong currents. Looking at looking at the explosion of sexual immorality since the sexual revolution and the breakdown of the nuclear family and the explosion of divorce and pornography and and of course all of the different ideologies that are antichrist, neo-Darwinism, you know, um neo-Marxism, all of these isms that are in many ways far more, um, it's PC to say I'm an anarchist or I'm a Marxist or I'm a Darwinian or I'm an atheist or all of these isms, all of these ideologies have gone on steroids. And of course, now we have the mechanism through the global in internet, right? And, and global media, but, but through the internet, Ideas can travel in a way that they could have, have never been able to travel historically. What else have we seen? The emergence, not the emergence, but the widespread embracing of occultism, you know, um, Luciferian practices, um, um, abortion. Um, it, there's always been abortion, but now because of technology and because of 
lawlessness, we're aborting tens of millions of babies around the world every year. The blood that's being shed, the human trafficking, the, the, all of this stuff is happening in, 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 in such an exaggerated way, unlike any time in history. And, you know, so I think that, that when we're looking for the signs of, of the end of the age, you, you, you can make a pretty good case because of the global reality of these things. You know, what? they are global. They are, what? yeah, so what go ahead. Is, what would you put your finger on right now? If there's one or two, let's limit it to two, but one for sure, deception in the greater church today or those who call themselves the church, what would that be in your mind? You know, I think, I think a lot of the church really doesn't have the narrative that the prophets and the apostles gave us in terms of, you know, and I'm talking about the meta narrative. I'm talking about from Genesis until the end of the book of Revelation. You know, I think a lot of people do not understand that there is this conflict. A lot of Christians don't understand that there is a conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And that every single play, every single, you know, move, counter move is a part of this meta narrative. So Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the days of the Son of Man. What was, what kind of days were leading up to the, to the, to the coming of the flood, you know? Um, Genesis, the beginning of Genesis 6 talks about an explosion of perversion and lawlessness and godlessness that is unlike anything that had happened up until that time. You know, we have the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden, but something happened right before the days of Noah that caused there to be this, this perversion godlessness, idolatry, um, violence, warfare, everything went on steroids so that that is why God and actually- And would you say that a bit was the, the, the sons of God taking the daughters of men? Yeah, as, and, and, and all of the events, I was just trying to avoid, I just don't want to go, I, I don't even have to, I don't even have to argue about, about that view other than to say, it was completely accepted in antiquity that something happened before the flood that caused immorality and 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 godlessness and violence and perversion and apostasy, all of that to go on steroids. Let's and, let's, let's yeah. wind it down here, and and I, I want to ask you a question um, about doing another podcast, but. I would say, too, for my own viewpoint, is that for me, the progressive church movement, which in my mind is an apostate church movement, absolutely, is a very troubling sign of what is going on and um, that its currents are much stronger than most people would even realize the average person in the pew. So before we go, yeah. I'm no, no, that's, 
I think I think you're on to that because I think that that type of trend, that type of theological, I mean, I think it goes back to the liberalism that really took root in the 1800s, and this is just the most modern uh, manifestation of that same spirit, but it is leading to more people to abandon the Christian faith and so-called deconstruct, right? Um, I know many personally that because of the ideas that liberals, liberal Christians, and or um, progressive Christians today, that's the term. I would, I would say this is that the liberal church of the 20th century would mock would mock those who were biblically based in their faith. But the progressive church of today, and there are examples, are willing to persecute the one true faith. Well, and to be, let's face it, to be honest, even liberal, um, even historic liberalism, um, they were not openly immoral. They were not advocating for the kinds of things that progressives are uh, advocating uh. today. You know, they were people that were married and didn't commit adultery and believed that homosexuality was not God's design and purpose for mankind, even though they were liberal. Um, they did not abandon biblical morality. I think that's the 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 what we see with progressives is that they've just completely, they would say that they're embracing biblical morality, but what they've done is they've just reinterpreted it and they've just made it match the spirit of the age. But I and think the, this is all and the spirit and the spirit of Antichrist. Yeah, it is. Just, well, it is. It, really yeah. quick, really quick. Um, I want you to recommend some popular books. That, that the average layperson can read. But before the, you, we do that, I want to invite you to come back. Father Dave just went to a uh, a, a convention of sorts, and uh, I'm not sure how much I'm supposed to say, tell about it, but uh, he just went to a large UFO convention and ministered there. But I would like you to come back, and I would like to discuss the topic of demons and ufos yeah and biblical prophecy yeah would you be willing to do that absolutely and i think it, it it fits perfectly what we've just said because if the dominant feature the dominant trend of the very end of the age is deception then we should be looking for what are what are the vehicles and the means that deception is going to take place and clearly the whole UFO phenomenon, the whole belief in extraterrestrial lives and aliens is setting up to be, there are a number of Christian um, kind of prophecy watcher, theologian types that would say that they believe that this will be the great deception at the end of the age, will be this embracing of, of the UFO narrative rather than understanding it biblically. Let's explore it on our next visit. Yeah, it'd be great. Really quickly, really quickly, could you just recommend a book or two about um, end times biblical prophecy? You know, um, I would say some of the stuff, and I know that you know this guy's work well, Dr. Michael Brown and Craig Keener have done a lot of work on, and also another guy named Joel Richardson, um, to to really push back against the dispensational premillennial view and really articulate 
a historic premillennial view. Yes. And in so doing, they also are, they believe in a literal uh, millennium. So they're millennial, um, but they are arguing that the that Christians are going to go through um, the millennium or be here when, I mean, I'm sorry, the, the, the tribulation and that we need to be prepared for that. And so I would recommend the works. I think the book that Keener and Michael Brown wrote together is called Who's Afraid of the Antichrist, which is a great title. And then I'm not sure um, what Joel Richardson's um, um, book title is or book titles, um, but he has some very good end time stuff. And I think he's a very careful researcher and um, I really appreciate. So I would recommend those those three men and their work um, to push back in and to to bring light to this topic. Could you offer us a blessing as we? Yes. Yeah, let's pray. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand um, the hour in which we are living, that we would be those, as Paul said, we're not unaware of the schemes of the enemy. We're not unaware of his schemes and that we would understand Jesus fully expected that we would understand the hour that we were living in when we saw these signs, when we discerned these signs. He fully expected a church that would be ready, that would be sober-minded, that would be alert and prepared for everything that's going to happen. God, may we find ourselves in that remnant. God, if there is areas in our lives where we are not understanding clearly, where we are deceived, where we do not see clearly, would you grace us with the ability to rightly understand and discern the hour in which we live? And we, 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 we pray these things all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Yeah. Thank you, Father Dave. All right. It's a great time. I've got to run, so we'll do it again soon.